With me today is Brian Benoit, the National Managing Partner for the Corporate Value Consulting Practice in the United States, also a principal in Grant Thornton Financial Advisors. Brian also leads the Energy Advisory Practice of Grant Thornton. Thank you for joining me, Brian. My first question for you, really, if we can get started with, is you know, hearing about second quarter earnings coming out, have you seen any company reluctance, if you will, to provide guidance heading into this earnings season? What's the concern there? Well, Jessica, thank you for having me today. And an interesting question, no doubt. Uh, there's not much to be said and very little to be observed, uh, but that may not be surprising. I believe companies simply don't know and really have very low levels of confidence around what they believe may possibly happen, especially in a global commodity-driven industry. From a U.S. perspective, a lot's changed since the first quarter, especially in how the U.S. coronavirus caseload compares to the rest of the world. And when you combine that with very small upside to providing a lot of extensive guidance, a little no specific requirements to do it, you know, maybe it's not terribly surprising we've observed what we have. Now, I will say there are you know, so many different permutations and combinations and possibilities of what might happen. It's almost irresponsible to put something out there that's just merely speculative. So I don't think we should be uh, too hard on companies for not doing it. Uh, but I will say that, you know, there will be some rebound. And given that rebound, we might see more disclosures in the third and fourth quarters. Um, but whether we see a vaccine or not, markets should be able to find a less volatile price per barrel to rally around. It might be higher or it might be lower. And with that will come more guidance. Very good points there, Brian. The spring's crude price drop and demand crash, as you were just touching on from COVID-19, was absolutely devastating. Still is, of course, we know. How has that affected bankruptcy filings then? Not as many filings as you might think yet. Uh, you know, one anchor point to this downturn from a financial perspective is low interest rates with smaller differences in returns between debt and equity. So there are many out-of-court settlements, prepackaged bankruptcies, and other refinancing options available. And they can be creative, including debt convertible to equity, profits, interest, performance units, and the like. So the fact is, um, the inexpensive cost of capital is helping many companies stay out of Chapter 11. You know, now, what's interesting is, and what the question may be is, at what point does debt become so inexpensive as a cost of capital that's no longer available? There must be returns. They have to be, otherwise capital doesn't become available. Capital is certainly more constrained than it has been in prior downturns. This is the arguably the fourth significant downturn in the last decade. But what is a bit different here is there may not be as much capital available this time. So if rates stay too low for too long, and there's even talk of the possibility of negative interest rates, there could be tighter credit markets. I believe it's unlikely that will happen. There are reopenings in many parts of the world. Oil and gas is a global commodity, so we're going to see economic movement. We'll see more positive cash flow again in 21 and 22. With that in mind, Brian, let's talk about M&A. Uh, it appears there hasn't been a big bounce back Probably not very surprising at this point, but will that be able to change anytime soon? You know, it's volatility. Um, volatility is still high, and the gap between prices sellers want and buyers were willing to pay remains high. Earnouts, where this is where future payments are promised based on you know meeting future financial performance targets, right? Uh, but earnouts uh, can bridge to some extent that gap. But most companies are somewhat shy about what they may be willing to agree to, and um, you know, many result in legal disputes, and so earnouts aren't extremely popular. Consequently, 
with the gaps that are there right now, deals just aren't getting done in oil and gas. Um, you know, as commodity prices for oil and gas, along with other capital markets, stabilize, could be higher, could be lower, but stabilize, uh, and volatility declines, I think you'll see a surge in M&A. Well, we do know, of course, of a big deal that was done. Let's talk about the effect of Chevron's acquisition of Noble Energy. Do you see other deals like that following uh, in, you know, the short amount of time we have for the rest of the year or going into 2021? You know, this deal is the first since the pandemic, especially of size, and certainly calms the uh, energy transaction, uh, quote unquote, waters a bit. Um, before, there were more unknowns. and Now there's a data point out there that gets factored into the calculus that others are going to use and rely on. This transaction may actually be a tailwind that allows more companies to move forward with deals. There won't likely be a flurry of deals, but, but smart ones like this one are going to happen. Uh, I would describe this deal as a case of the adults in the room speaking. Um, a lot of people watching this deal, a lot of interest. And, and unlike discussions between a lot of the smaller exploration and production companies or independents held by private equity firms that might only have a few wells in different fields, there's a certain gravitas that comes when you have two majors negotiating and coming out with a deal like this. If this deal were an oil painting, in my view, it's a Rembrandt, masterpiece of a deal, $13 billion, enterprise value, that means including debt, providing a premium to Noble with a significant opportunity to take advantage of upside potential and simultaneously strengthening Chevron. And I expect the economy and capital market conditions that are out there now to force uh, things to happen and paint more of these types of deals. What about if you can touch on the bank determination process for us, how does that fit in with all of this? That's a great question. Uh, fun to answer that question. Um, because it's a little tongue in cheek. So the, the outcome is largely unknown with any real certainty, but we have seen this before in the industry and in prior, although less severe downturns, uh, many banks are looking for reasons not to call loans or ask for an increase in collateral or borrowing base. They don't want an owner exploration production company, much less an energy services business. And I know bankers and I've observed bank, uh, banks and, and bankers measure assets and enterprise valuations based on internal metrics that vary greatly, might I say, from a, a spot price or forward curve. And these are usually based on assumptions more favorable to the borrower than you might otherwise expect. There might be a good reason for that, though. And, you know, for example, there are many upside scenarios. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but if you have companies that are generating positive cash flow and making debt service payments, generally banks want to work with them. However, uh, there's a tipping point. Uh, and the inputs are oil and gas prices and time. Too low and too long is not good. So from the lending and financial restructuring perspective, you reach that point and there really may not be any other alternatives besides bankruptcy. Brian, just this week, Hard Energy's editorial director, Len Vermillion, and I hosted a panel on ESG. With that in mind, does the economic downturn accelerate or slow down you think, the energy transition for larger and smaller companies? Jessica, you may find this surprising, but in my view, uh, one is kind of somewhat dependent on the other, and, and I, I don't think it accelerates or slows down. It may slow down somewhat uh, the transition. You know, both sectors of the conventional, also revolutionary trends in the industry, the energy industry need to be healthy and also available. Otherwise, the transition is either suboptimal or doesn't work at all. Um, with conventional alternative energy, it's more of an I'm okay, you're okay, psychological adaptation of the old and new in transition. 
as opposed to either one or the other. What is the path forward from here as you see it for the industry as companies continue navigating and really trying to plan, if you will, to head into 2021? You know, well, from my perspective, the outlook is very good, especially as we get into the second and third quarter of 2021. You know, of course, the recovery and path forward for oil and gas, uh, you know, just gets better from there. Um, you know, most interestingly, I've witnessed firsthand, this is starting to be reflected in my client's forecasts, where we're valuing business enterprise and providing opinions on fairness or solvency or some other type of transaction opinion. So I'm seeing it. Um, there's optimism and perhaps the best is yet to come. That is good to hear. I do appreciate hearing that, that side of it as well. And Brian, really, I have to thank you for sharing your expertise with us and spending this time with us as well. All the best to you. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. You're welcome.